Are you concerned about hitting your revenue targets this month, quarter, or year? Your answer is Value Prime Solutions, a sales training and marketing optimization company leveraging the value selling framework. Visit www.valueprimesolutions.com and start accelerating your results. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we have with us Brian Turner, General Manager with Slalom Consulting. And as we prep for the show, we decided to focus our conversation primarily on how revenue should actually be viewed as a trailing, although critical, indicator of the health of your business. Now, I know for many of our listeners, that probably sounds like hearsay. We're all after revenue, helping our customers get more revenue, making more money. But considering the increase in the number of reports we're seeing out there around sales experience, what buyers expect, it's pretty important perspective. Wanted to spend some time with Brian and Capture. So, Brian, first, thank you very much for taking time to be with us today. Thank you, Chad. Appreciate it. This is a subject near and dear to our hearts at Slalom as we as we figure out our next path and, and grow beyond a billion. Excellent. So a little twist right out of the gate. Uh, I like to try and front load some of the value for this, for the podcast, for our listeners. And so I start usually with asking, you know, each of our guests, if you think back over the course of your career and there was a defining moment, something that happened, maybe changed the course of your career, gave you a lesson that you learned that you still apply today. uh, I'd like to kind of understand what that is, what lesson you learned and, and how it affected your career. Yeah, you know, it really was the, the, the precipice for helping start up the Slalom Denver office. Um, and it has to do with just transparency, um, accountability. And, you know, for me, it was, as many of us have seen, you know, you get into the, the trenches on a tough project and you're working through different items. And at some point when the partnership is strong, you just kind of succumb to the fact that you're in this together and, and how do you figure out how to do the right thing? That transparency for me, you know, Obviously, as you work through it, you get the, the overall solution, the overall program delivered. That's kind of the fun part and, and the easy part to look at as success. But what I found was the extreme efficiency of being transparent, of taking complete accountability, of taking ownership. Um, and of that being a two-way street, always the best way to find the solution, no matter how, how big the problem. So there, there's a pretty poignant you know, program project that I was on with a client to be unnamed in my old days. <laughs> And, you know, I I was a partner with the big five and we sat down and we're just able to get inside our bubble as a partnership between, you know, rather than two companies, two teams partnering and being completely transparent. And and it was amazing how quickly it turned around a complex program and delivered it as a team that just watching that, I realized there was a a huge sweet spot for just doubling down on the level of of services that that you can provide and, and just having partnerships rather than, you know, a solution driving the problem, uh, but a team. So I, I can think of the exact client. I can think of the exact program, but I think the bottom line lesson that we've driven through our culture here is just that efficiency of transparency, partnership, ownership, and mutual accountability. Yeah, transparency is is excellent in concept and when people can embrace it, it is phenomenal. I agree with you. It can be uncomfortable for some though, right? I mean, it requires a level of accountability and authenticity that can be a challenge for some individuals. I'm curious how you guys overcame that at Slalom. Yeah, you know, you've got to create a culture throughout, uh, which is an interesting place from a consulting perspective, but a culture of learning and a culture of, 
you know, it's positive to be wrong. If, if you're learning from it, getting better and moving forward, you've seen it before. You get into that knower mentality, whether you're in sales, <laughs> right. whether you're in services, you're going to get yourself into trouble unless you're, you know, one of the few that, that truly knows more than everybody else, as opposed to, um, you know, really driving a culture of, you know, what did we learn? What did we grow? Where did we bring value? And it pretty quickly frees up um, and, is, and is pretty, and is contagious throughout the organization. Uh, people get hungry for it in terms of being able to sit at a table and, you know, truly ask questions around a solution and be listening for answers rather than be listening for a spot to put your answer in, if that makes sense. Yeah, completely, completely. And I, I have to ask, I always do my homework and I noticed you have a degree from Berkeley in molecular biology. How, how did you end up going from molecular biology into the big five and then into slalom? Well, it turns out, number one, uh, I don't like blood. <laughs> I don't think you're alone there. <laughs> I don't know if you know vasovagal, uh, but it, you, you start cutting things up in front of me and I don't feel so good. Uh, <laughs> that mixed with, you know, I was getting out of Berkeley in the early, mid-90s, just before the dot-com boom. And, you know, technology was was obviously dominant and I had some catching up to do. So, I, you know, I jumped into a technology firm within the big five because I, I thought it was pretty exciting and you know someone who was going to give me a computer and teach me how to use it so that was fun number two the you know the logic that you have with molecular cell biology does directly apply over it's still equational there's still solutions you're still analyzing variables data and understanding kind of the best approach and i like the idea of at the end you know if the answer was correct or not there's obviously a little more gray area when it comes to, you know, solutioning within IT. But again, you can point to the success on the value criteria in the end, and that's that's still something that comforts me. So probably more connection than you think, and <laughs> there's less blood in consulting. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it depends on the client, but yeah, without a doubt. So when we were prepping for the interview, we wanted to talk about, you know, revenue as a critical, although perhaps trailing indicator of success and health for the business. You know, unpack that a little bit for our listeners and, and help provide a little bit more context. Yeah, you know, and it's by no means does it point to revenue not being a critical indicator of the health of your business. But for me, you know, across the 25, 30 years I've been doing this, when you're going after revenue as the leading indicator, you're solutioning around that dollar, you're solutioning around, uh, you know, the rates, the structure, the items, and, and, and then you can back end the most important part of the solution, which is uh, the value you're bringing. And, you know, for us, you start to look at what is the value? Are you doing the right thing? Are you truly solving your customers' problems in the manner they need them solved rather than, you know, applying your tools and selling the tools or assets you have to try to solve their problems or try to apply them as they will? Those things, again, you know, can have some short-term wins. The long-term is you're trying to create a brand and really own a market um, as well as, you know, a culture within your organization. You'll fall short. Now, that being said, you know, the revenue indicator is absolutely critical in the story. If you think of, you know, you need your values, you need the clear North Star, you need a, a great culture within there, especially if your your business as ours is, is your people. Um, and that's your product. And then, you know, how how you deliver that product and how that product is being received in the market and the value it's creating. Eventually, you look at those revenue numbers and they are the clear foundation that not only show if the business is successful, but allow you to adjust um, and, you know, invest in, in, in a variety of the assets you would need to to continue to improve your business and evolve. Excellent. And so I'm curious, there is a, a, you know, everybody that I 
work with or, or deal with always talks about what's the number of the quarter or for the half uh, or for the year. What are the annual targets? What's the revenue market share? Stuff like that. By not focusing on it, is that enabled largely because you guys are a private company? Or do you think if you were public and had shareholders and had to answer to Wall Street that it would be as, uh, let's say, I don't want to say easy, but that it would be as simple perhaps? Yeah, you know, and it ties into the leading versus trailing indicator. And it, it really, for us, allows us to be proactive versus reactive to, you know, our clients' needs. And what I mean by that is, you know, we still look at, obviously, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual revenue. You still have to break things into measurable chunks to be able to analyze them. But that being said, we don't have to react to them, right? If you're answering to shareholders and they want to know, exactly what you're going to deliver in a quarter and in a, in a better number, no matter what the story outweighs a longer term statement or vision, you can get into trouble. And if, you know, if I use an example, if you were to take, uh, you know, something as simple as resources and people as your biggest uh, asset, and it's who you are as a company in our business, I've seen private companies have to make decisions on hiring and firing based on a three month projection. And if, if you have a a person that's been with you for 10 years, you know, they're an excellent resource, but for some reason, you know, hiccup on a client or, you know, a market or oil and gas isn't doing what you thought it was. And so you start making moves to get rid of people to start looking at a number. A, that's the wrong thing to do for a culture. You're you're never going to build the loyalty and the culture that you want. But number two, if you just look at it from a dollars and cents perspective, you're going to have to spend how much money to rehire that person and the business value and the cost and the inefficiency you're creating there is, is an amazing one if you do the analysis, but to get an answer in a short term and a quarter to answer to a shareholder, I've seen moves like that made, they're completely inappropriate. Um, so both from a culture perspective, from a dollar perspective, it just gives you a freedom to look at the strategy of your business in a, in a much more flowing way uh, strategically. You still need to make moves. You still need to you know stay efficient, but you don't have to answer to a calendar date that's forcing some of those decisions. And more importantly, you know, you start talking to the board and, and shareholders, uh, you can make moves short term that, that you, you could have you know, gotten over a hump quicker and had a much better foundation long term. Yeah, and it seems to be working. I mean, you guys are growing, you know, amazing. You mentioned earlier, you're headed towards a billion dollars organization. That's, uh, that's pretty damn impressive, right? So normally I ask and expect when I ask, you know, what's the biggest challenge these days that you're facing? Most of the people I talk to or most of the clients I work with say, oh, we need more leads or we need more revenue. One of the two. I know from talking to Eric that things are going very well. So I'm curious when you look at, you know, specifically Denver or maybe Slalom as a whole, what, what are the biggest challenges uh, and does being private and focusing on a longer term game, does that change the challenges that kind of rise to the surface as the primary ones? Yeah, you know, in, in terms of hitting those two questions, the first one on what are the biggest challenges as we grow, I'd point to you know, a lot of companies you know, have a great culture and, and can keep their arms around their people and can truly partner with their clients in that intimate way that we want to do. And at about that billion mark, you can see some of those breaks happen. You know, you need process to deal with that scalability. So for us, the biggest challenge, but it is who we are, is I think it'll completely differentiate us as a company and differentiate consulting, frankly, if we can figure this out. But the biggest challenge will be how we can empower and, and be scalable. And, you know, we hit that two, three billion to be able to bring the appropriate assets and knowledge to our clients while keeping that small local intimacy from a partnership, from an understanding our clients' needs, from solving their problems rather than applying our solutions. So, you know, the one-liner on that is how do we maintain our culture, intimacy, 
partnership with our clients while you know taking advantage of the success we've had to bring uh, more assets to those clients to, to solve their most critical problems. I think the second part of your question, as you talked about, hey, you know, what, what's that downside to being a private company? There's definitely the you know, the ability to kind of take care of your people more, to make to make decisions for the right reasons, and, and not have some of those outside influences. But there's still a you know there, there's a scalability from an investment perspective, from a dollar perspective. You know, it, I think it probably brings another level of uh, discipline in terms of understanding exactly. Uh, what all the different factors are you're looking at in a market, as well as a discipline internally on, you know, who, what, why, and how you're running things. So you you can make up for that by just making sure you have that discipline and accountability internally. But yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of like seeing the tax man it makes you get some of those extra numbers together that you know, but putting them on paper can show you different things. So just making sure we have enough of that process and diligence to uh, to run ourselves um, in that efficient and appropriate way, but, you know, maintaining the ability to, to just always do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a delicate balance for sure, right? The process to scale without snuffing out the, that small intimate feel, that partnership feel that I know Slalom's known for. Uh, it, I've seen other agencies struggle with it and, and not crack that nut. So I look forward to seeing what you guys, what you guys do with that as you move forward. When yeah. we were emailing back and forth, you started talking about four things that kind of fall into the circle of business from your perspective, investments in products, investments in people, innovation, and a longer sales life cycle. Can you kind of unpack that circle of business for us and how you use it in the day-to-day operations? Yeah. And you know, it, it all comes back to uh, bringing value. And, and that is our, that's our job. That's our responsibility for our clients is understanding the value we're bringing, how we're bringing it. Uh, they expect you to have the best people. They expect you to be knowledgeable of their industry and bringing assets and products to make things more efficient. At the same time, if you're just bringing all the tools that everybody else brings, you know, no, ma- no matter how good a friends you are, no matter how much you do the right thing and take care of them, there's still an end. And an end result that rate and the mighty dollar ends up kind of pushing a lot of this. <laughs> right innovation comes in they do they do want you to kind of not only be doing what you do well but pushing the boundaries and and, and bringing other items and you know sometimes it's investing on projects with them sometimes it's roi based deals sometimes it's just being innovative and you know throwing ideas investing in pilots to to kind of show them what could be and a lot of that takes time i think you mentioned at the end there that longer longer sales cycle and that's a that's a tough discipline it's something we're going through uh, right now we have you know a lot of relationships where as anybody that sells, you know, the best way to sell is, you know, from the ground when you're working with the client, you know them really well, but it's a big world and you've got to be able to to bring enough value from the outside to in, interest people, to bring, you know, a different level of value when you've already had the partnership and, and they expect more from you and, and you owe them some of the payback for the time you spent on the ground and, and understanding both of those parts. And so when you look at keeping the discipline on that longer sales cycle. Obviously, efficiency is still important. Doesn't mean you're inefficient or you wait more days to to make closes or or to you know to get the client exactly what they need, but it does mean kind of sitting on your heels and listening and making sure you're solutioning right. Just like we talked about earlier on that transparency, you know, in the end the efficiency gain uh with that with that transparency always comes through. It's the same in a, in a sales life cycle, right? If you can just take that breath, listen, make sure you're really getting that solution, keeps you from having to go back. I mean, there's nothing worse, right? Than high-fiving as you start this great process. <laughs> I ain't going. And then, you know, you're eight weeks in and realize 
you know, there was a miscommunication on what one person thought they were saying when they said something. So just taking that breath, making sure you are clear on everything from the highest level business value proposition through the steps and tools they're going to deliver it through an implementation, uh, absolutely critical. So yeah, when we say longer sales lifecycle, it is about that kind of relationship, uh, listening, solutioning, kind of at the at the nth degree. But it is not obviously, you know, a slow. Let's just wait and see how it comes. Right. So so with an organization that's scaling and growing as much as Slalom, there's a lot of that trust that's put on your consultants, right? So how do they how do they listen correctly? How do they interface and then deliver on the Slalom brand, deliver on the expertise that expected? I'm curious how as you grow and add people to the, you know, the Slalom family, how do you enable them so there's some level of consistency across the way they interact, right? Is there a, is there a secret sauce? Cause it's something I've seen agencies struggle with and other consultancies struggle with. And as you get bigger on that scale side, I'm curious, like, how do you, you know, is it part of your hiring process? Are there certain things you're looking for when you're hiring so that you get some level of consistency? Is there a training program or mentor program that you guys implement? It's kind of what I'm aiming at. Yeah. And I think the answer is yes. <laughs> um, throughout, throughout, it, it is just, you've got to drive it so deep in your culture and words are, you know, as we all know, we're, words are one thing, but then the actions are bigger. And so you've got to just live it. Uh, the number of times we sit around our table and we're looking at anything from a, you know, external project that we're working with the client to an internal uh, situation with an employee or a career path or compensation, you know, being able to pull out the, Hey, what's the right thing to do here? Cause we have a clear value of always do the right thing. Uh, let's put that on the table. And, and, and again, everything's, everything's never perfect, but if people hear when you're balancing back on those items of, you know, uh, do the right thing, always smile, enjoy, learn, listen. And when they hear you applying those, it circles itself on that culture. So from, you know, when we're interviewing people, I'm usually the last interview. And when you talk to these people coming in, we're assuming they have the skills and assets that they're going to need to bear to kind of solution and, and solve problems. But we hit the culture item right from the front. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a you're one of us, you're not. It's really about understanding who they are, how they want to work, what they want to do, what experiences they've seen, how they reacted, what their leadership style is. And you can you can drain that. And then you can see which which items, you know, people may have gaps, but they, they're here to evolve those. You know, and, and even within the company, one of our clear items is you know, people people can leave you know, from a consulting perspective. We have pretty low attrition here in the 12%, 13% range, which for a consulting firm is extremely That's low. It's really low. But, you know, at the same point, people leave, and it's a good thing if they go off to be clients if, if we've evolved them the correct way. And so we, there's another clear statement here, which is we want this to be the best stop for someone's career, uh, whether that's one year or 10 years or 20 years. It's just about how are you growing, learning, evolving, and building your skills and enjoying the team you're working with. You pull that in from the interview process through training. We have very detailed leadership training programs that are about feedback, transparency. I think the, the further up you, you move from a leadership perspective or from a responsibility perspective in this company, the, the more feedback you're receiving. And that, <laughs> that, that can be inverse to a lot of companies, right? And I think you just drain that through and it's, it breeds that servant leadership, which breeds kind of a culture of really being comfortable bringing up ideas, you know, no ideas incorrect. How are you learning productive conflict, all those items, it just starts to bleed throughout the organization, but it's gotta be maintained and, and kind of nourished every day. Yeah. It's not, it's not something you can just talk about and put on the side. Like you have to live it, right? You have to live it. It has to be real. Uh, it has to be something that people are experiencing day in and day out. 
Uh, it's impressive. I mean, Slalom has gotten uh, all number of awards for the culture and, and reviews from people that have been there. It's uh, it's a pretty impressive accomplishment, although I have to believe not particularly easy. Do you run into some consultants that come on board at times who maybe aren't as comfortable with that level of transparency or, or that level of feedback? You know, definitely, it definitely takes some getting used to. And, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you can still have fatigue days on the feedback, but you start to get hungry for it. And it's, again, back to just how efficient the transparency is. You, it, it, just, it just starts to grow on itself. But it is a challenge. And it is, I mean, we, that's, we, we have a pretty long interview process. And, you, you know, you can, you can see that on occasion on some of the, on some of the social sites. And, and, and half the candidates come through and they're like, wow, you guys drain this. I've met so many people. I really feel like I understand the company. I've never walked through a door of a company. And, really had such a clear vision of what I'm getting into. And others are kind of like, hey, interview five, let's go. I need a job. (laughs) Feel those things out. But the continuous feedback, you know, it's it's not always perfect. It's not, you know, you've got to understand what those gaps are and then be comfortable with it. And it's pretty interesting. We do very detailed surveys. It's called an SES survey for us internally and with our clients. And, and, you know, it's always a tough balance with clients where they're like, really, you're going to send me a survey and give, give me a task to do? But externally or internally, when they see you hold up the results and then react to them, a lot of our clients now that have been partnering with us for, for a while look forward to getting that annual survey because they know that uh, you know they're going to have a meeting with us to understand what those results are and they're going to see immediate actions. It's the same thing internally. You know, you, you get feedback on everything we're working on around you know asset creation, production, career paths, diversity and inclusion. When you hold those things up, it's like, hey, we got a really bad score here and you're comfortable with it, and you own it, and then you kind of walk through, here's some things we're going to try, and then you're even able to hold up, you know, whether it's at a quarterly or, you know, or monthly calls or whatever you're doing, cocktail hours, however you're connecting with the team, but you hold those gaps up just as much as you hold the, the positive items, people start to see it's real. I think uh, the first time our CEO had us do this, I started back in 2008, you know, and he, he, he noticed the initial surveys would get more and more information about the things we need to do better. And I equated it to, you know, you, you ask my wife, what can Brian improve next year? She might give, she might give you a topic or two, but uh, if she sees I take those two topics, improve them and really work hard on them. The next time you give her the survey, she's going to have about 15, right? And that's going to increase a lot of if I'm actually paying attention to it. So those, those surveys have that result. Clients kind of lean in more, the, the internal team, see how hard we're working on it. And it creates a pretty just positive impact in terms of, driving and maintaining that culture because the minute you sit on it, you know, it's that whole day one, day two company, the minute you sit on it, you're going to start to lose the culture and people right. are going to be able to tell a story on, Oh, you're getting big or, Oh, we're losing this piece or we're losing that piece. And the reality is you've always got to be figuring out what your, what your evolution is, not just to stay ahead of the pack, but just, just continue to get better. Yeah. And that, that culture becomes critical. I mean, you've got, okay. So when you hire somebody, you've got to make sure that they, they're in a place where they can accept that type of feedback. And and I've seen it too. They do I myself included get hungry for that feedback, right? You always, always want to get better. The other side of that coin though, is when you're dealing with a customer now, sometimes if it's a newer customer, it'll be harder. That same consultant that has to be willing to accept feedback has to sometimes be able to tell a client that they're headed in the wrong direction, right? So it's the other side of that soft skill. I'm curious how you guys test for that or or how you enable that across the team because sometimes your job is to tell the customer that they're wrong or perhaps there's a better way to do it, right? Yeah, no question. And that's, you know, there's always an art to the science. Um, <laughs> And in every situation is different. 
but we again back to that transparency and it's not it's not a callous transparency it's not a but if you just kind of get back to here's the values here's why we're driving this out here's why we're giving this information if you're being honest you're owning it and owning your side of the accountability as well you know not just kind of pushing or leaning on things that seem simpler to communicate it comes through and it is not always easy right we've had to walk away from clients that you can just tell you know won't line up we've had clients that are surprised when we roll resources off and say, hey, you know, we, we talked to your CEO and there's an extra value that we expect to be bringing from small and you're not getting that in this situation. So we're moving on. They, they, they would be used to a services organization and, and think something like, ah, oh, you must be getting a higher rate for that person or a higher rate for that project somewhere else for these resources. But you just stick to it and you're consistent with it. You do it for the right reasons. Those partnerships build and they realize, ah, that's really their culture and it builds off itself. They see you doing it with each other. And they see you open to that feedback and, and asking for it and reacting to it, they start to lean in the majority of the time. But it is still a science or an art, you know, that you mix with the science. And, and there's there's times you gotta soft shoot a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, you just have to have the discipline to to not give soft messages. There's you know there's a difference in, in being able to say things a productive way and a supportive way, and having a strength to be able to walk away. We've had clients where we we do assessments over technology. Obviously, won't won't go into the exact technologies we're analyzing, but we did a recommendation of technology A and they, they said, yep, we got it. And kind of looking through all the different factors you told us, we're going to, we're going to lean with technology B, but we want you to implement it. You know, and it was just pretty interesting. It's like, well, wait a sec, if, if we're partnering with you and we really feel this is better for your business, if they had changed our mind with some variables we hadn't seen or done, then let's go down that path. But it was more of a, yep, we agree with you. We understand it, but we have more of these resources. So we're going to move down this direction. And you know, the reaction initially when we said, well, great, but of course we're not going to do that $2 million implementation because we don't feel it's the best for you. And we did tell you we'd partner with you. Their reaction was kind of like, well, that's cute, but grow up. This is, you know, in the end, this is business and we want you to implement it. And then what we did was kind of say, look, we'll continue to support you, walk through, love to, you know, sync with you monthly to understand how it's going and, and, and make sure our, our items that we were trying to keep your eye on are accurate, but we can't move down to have that program, right? It's just, so it gets back to, are you being true to your word, true to your values, true to what you're saying to them? Eventually it bends them around and then, you know, say it nicely. <laughs> may think a little about the exact adjectives we're using with uh, clients versus employees. Yeah, I uh, I have been known to tell my wife I don't have a problem with what you're saying. I have a problem with how you're saying it. <laughs> all right, so let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of the interview. You are, as a, as a revenue executive, you are a potential prospect or target for some of our listeners. Uh, people want to get in front of you, sell you something, solve some problems. I'm curious from your perspective, what is the most effective way to break through the noise and, and get your attention, bring something to you that may provide you, the Denver group, Slalom as a whole, some value. Uh, what captures your attention and what seems to work the best? You know, that's a good question. And we do get, we get a ton of uh, kind of whether it's cold or relationship pushes or you know, items of people connecting. And obviously we, we have to do that ourselves. So it's interesting. Our, 
our CEO is a true innovator. And I, and I think he often, especially as we were growing, would, would take calls with, with salespeople to understand the style, the process, how they were doing it, and kind of would, would enjoy the back and forth from that perspective, just in, in that learner mentality. Sure. As I look at myself and, and, and I work with our sales team, and I look at who we connect with and why, you know, there's the easy things like having the personal connection from a, a credibility standpoint or uh, those items is, is easy, but that can't always be the case. So for me, it's really when the value proposition they're giving is clear and connected. And what I mean by that is, you know, they, they've thought through what I am, who we are, what we do, and then they may not understand it all, but they understand enough that their initial why they're reaching out to me makes sense from a value perspective. And then, it, you know, it, it's the connection at that, at that next point, which is that connection in touch. How are you doing it? You know, the consistency, is it customized? Uh, are you able to do it? Obviously, anytime I can grab a, a coffee or a beer with someone to really hear them, you'll know in 30 minutes if it's another sales pitch or if they're really listening and, and you know, connects back to our values. Are you, are you understanding what we do, who we are, and then applying what your solution is or what your product is and how it brings value? And at that point, it's, and then who are you and how do you connect? Because there are a lot of great products out there. Actually, is that and so is that type of approach something that you guys instill in in your sales force and, and work to make sure that they're effective at doing with new customers or, or new markets or or expanding existing accounts? We do, and it's it's a different approach, right? A lot a lot of my BD's uh, job, a lot of their responsibility is to make sure we have the best brand in the market and and the best reputation. So you know they sell. They, they know from the beginning of their sales cycle, whether it's with uh, an existing partner they've known for 20 years or a brand new partner, in the end, it's going to be about the value they deliver. And that's not just from a you know credential perspective or, or being able to talk to the next client about some of the great work we did, but you know th- their jobs to make sure that we said or we did what we said we were going to do. So they have a big part of that up front, but having them on that close on the back end kind of completes that cycle, if you would. Um, and probably affects how you sell up front as well, right? Knowing, knowing you're going to ask, what was the exact value you expected? We thought it was this, and we think we brought it in this fashion. Are, are you on the same page? You're thinking of those questions from the get-go. And then the other end is just BDs are great with people, right? The emotional intelligence is something we lean on. And so they have an ability to create that relationship where they can get the true the true feedback on how we get better, how we continue and how things are going. Oftentimes, uh, whether it's, you know, from our, from a business strategy perspective or from an IT perspective, whichever end of the business we're working on, you get in the trench with that client. They may say, yeah, no, things are great because you've been fighting with them and in, in, in the positive way, you know, fighting the battle with them and, and, right. and getting, the, getting the program done with them. So they don't, you know, need to give you that last 10% sometimes. So you've got to encourage that. And then, you know, the BD with the relationship that can truly protect that. That's not just being seen as someone who's selling, uh, but circling around to really double check they're getting what they want. Uh, that's felt. And, and, and that's where you get kind of the next level of information to evolve the business. And so you know, our BDs are comp just as much on kind of what they bring to the market and the value they deliver as much as uh, how did it go along the way and how did the client feel, right? It gets back to all the feedback we get in surveys that we can play that directly applies into who they are in the end. And yeah, it's, a, it's the balance. It's the same balance as when we talk about the value of always doing the right thing. That means always doing the right thing for your clients and always doing the right thing for your people. Those are two two things that at some, you know, at times can force you to balance others. But if, but if you concentrate on both of them, you end up with the with the right path. 
Interesting. So I, I should have asked this question, question earlier. It's something you just said jogged it for me. The, when your BDs work with, so in, in a lot of agencies or consultancies that I've worked with, there's this natural friction, right, between execution and, and BD or sales. Uh, we used to joke, uh, I just interviewed Mark Shank from KPMG. We joked about the magic bubble, right? You always kept execution in a magic bubble. I'd let them believe that revenue just kind of fell off the trees. But what you're saying sounds like the BDs are actually integrated into those teams a lot more cohesively. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? And if so, how has that happened or how have you guys, you know, enabled that to happen? So you are understanding it correctly. And it's, you know, it's being involved throughout that process. Uh, our BDEs aren't responsible for, you know, opening a door, pitching an idea and getting out. They're responsible for getting all the right people in the room to bring the right solution. And they're a part of Everything from creating that solution to creating the staffing for that solution, to understanding the skill sets that are going to be on there. And then they're on the check-ins throughout the project on how it's going, right? And that's not just from a tactical and process perspective, but back to the how's the client feeling, how are they doing, where are we? They're critical to that. So the BDs aren't seen simply as you know a sales asset that goes and opens doors for us. They are in the leadership meetings, part of the leadership team. I get the best read of the market and how we're doing and how our brand is doing from them, even internally, right? You watch who they want on their teams when it's the most critical personal projects for the clients they love. Uh, You're going to learn a lot about your people. You watch which which assets they sell. Of course, I get back to the old revenue discussion. Of course, the ones who create great revenue, they're looking at those. But, you know, if, if there's something that we have a gap in in the business, you'll see it pretty quickly when they're not pushing it or when they shy away from a solution. That means we need to strengthen uh, you know, the, the, the people and assets we have within that practice. So they, they're absolutely considered a critical part of the team and involved throughout the life cycle. Now, their skill set does have to do with opening and listening and, and connecting. But at the same point, they're, they're no more or less a, a piece of the puzzle of the entire integrated team that brings that solution to the client. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I love that perspective. It's difficult. I've seen it's been difficult for some agencies that I've worked with to to pull that off. So I'm glad to hear that you guys incorporate it all the way through. Some just wanted to, hey, here's a meeting and bring the smart people, let them close the deal. And then it kind of falls apart. So I'm glad to hear that you guys are, are doing that. All right. So one one last question I, I, for you. One, one item on that chat is, you know, if I look at some of the BDs, they've been with us for more than a decade and they only serve Colorado. So they're going to see these clients up and down again. So they are protecting, you know, not, not just in the do the right thing mentality, which they do, but they're protecting their network and that's their job, right? Their sure. job is to keep their reputation and their, their, their partnerships alive as well. So that is where that kind of local intimate model I talked about helps. Yeah, extremely well connected. I mean, from the BDs on your team that I've I've had the chance to speak with and and uh, connect with, very well connected. Definitely have the Denver market have their uh, thumb on the pulse of that. All right, so one last question. I want to be respectful of time, but we ask all of our guests for what we call an acceleration insight. So, if you had the opportunity to tell another sales or marketing or professional services executive one piece of advice that you feel like would help them or their teams make their number, beat their targets, uh, be better tomorrow than they are today, what would that be and why? Good question. You know, I think it it applies even more so to as you talk to sales and marketing and professional services, but I think just in general in life, but especially in those spaces, you can't game the system, right? You can only game things for so long. You can't really game the system or the process. In the end, right, hard work and effort is hard work and effort, and you're going to need that to be successful, right? You might be able to find pockets between there, 
but it just comes down to, are you putting in the extra cycles? Are you following through? Are you addressing those gaps that you know you have? Or are you kind of pushing them off? So back to hard work and effort. Now, believe in what you're doing. And then back to even how I you know, lean on my BDEs now, very different from when we're starting out as a company, still protecting their people. But I would watch every reaction, every person, every asset, every practice that we were building because you could learn so much whether they were believing in it or not. So if, if you're a, a salesperson or a marketing person, you know, how much easier is your job back to that transparency if you believe in what you're doing? It doesn't have to be perfect, but just understand exactly what it is you're doing, where you're bringing the value, own that and believe in it. And then where there's gaps, how are you addressing those um, and kind of being transparent on those? But then in the end, it all just comes down to you got to work hard and you got to put in the effort and you know if you're being accountable. So you get out there, you support, and then you hold yourself just as accountable. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I appreciate that insight. All right, everyone, that is the end of this episode. Please check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, families, coworkers. If you like what you hear, do me a favor and write us a review on iTunes. Uh, we're tracking to get into the new and noteworthy over there. Uh, so we would need to get Apple's attention. Brian, I can't thank you enough for your time today. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, Chad. Thanks, man. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for letting me... Uh chat a little bit but I, I look forward to seeing uh seeing where this goes and getting some feedback and and continuing this conversation it's it's uh it's critical in today's day and age on as, as you're as you're building out services and selling excellent well again thank you thank you everyone for listening and uh, brian for these invaluable insights cannot thank you enough i'm sure our listeners will benefit from them until we talk next time wish you and the group at slalom nothing but the greatest success all right thanks take care all right You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.